Well, good morning to you. We want to end 2020 strong, and we want to begin 2021 strong. So today is the last in a series of messages on rediscovering our all of God out of the Gospel of John. So if you'd like to follow along, John's Gospel, chapter 21 this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 21. So next week, we start an eight-week worship series back in the Gospel of John, looking at the great I Am statements of Jesus. And I'm looking forward to moving into the new year with those passages of Scripture and great worship as well. So we hope you'll come next Sunday ready to worship the Lord to begin a new year. I think this passage of Scripture, more than any other that I've done in this series, really touches my heart. What is recorded in the first 14 verses of John's Gospel, chapter 1, is the last miracle that Jesus did. At least it's recorded in the Bible. And it's the only miracle that's recorded in the Bible of Jesus after he rose from the dead. The Bible says in John 21, 1, after these things, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. Notice the phrase, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples. In fact, this passage sort of has a parenthesis built into it, a, a book bookends, because it starts out with reminding us that Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. And then if you look at verse 14, it says, this is the third time Jesus revealed himself after he rose from the dead. And notice that Jesus is revealing himself not to those who do not know him, Certainly he does that. He wants to draw people into a personal relationship with him. But it, this purpose after the resurrection is he wants his disciples to know him better. He wants to make himself known more and more to those who are already following him because they understand him to a point, they believe in him to a point, they grasp him to a point, but there's always that ever-growing understanding and comprehension and knowledge and, in a sense, living in greater awe and wonder of God that needs to happen in disciples' lives. That's what he wants to do today here. He wants to, say, to make himself known in a greater way to those of us who already know him. And if you're here and you do not know him, then obviously he wants to make himself known to you, that he loves you and wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's where it starts. So that's what this whole passage is about, making himself known to his disciples. But there's primarily one disciple that he really wants to engage with in this passage, and that's Peter. And that's why I would title this passage a disciple's reset. Because Peter needs a reset spiritually in his life. And that's why I think this passage is also very timely for where we are 
in the year, sort of the ending one year and getting ready to begin another year, it's always a good time to reset. And why do I say that about Peter? Because this is the first encounter Peter's had since he failed the Lord miserably. This is the first time he's going to engage with Jesus since he very publicly denied him. And it was a public failure. It wasn't just like Peter failed the Lord and nobody was around. It was like there was a whole crowd of people there, and Peter just kept saying, I don't know him. I have no idea who that is. So I'm sure Peter at this point in his life is carrying a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, and we're going to talk all about that in this passage. Jesus wants to make himself known in a greater way to you and I today through this passage. And so I know Jesus is going to speak to each of us where we need to be spoken to in this passage of Scripture and what we can take from this story and how we can apply this personally to our life. So with that said, the second verse of John 21 gives us who was present when this all took place. Peter... Then it says Thomas, and it is very interesting, too, in a passage about failure that the first two disciples mentioned are Peter the denier and Thomas the doubter. <laughs> then you have Nathaniel. Then it says the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John. And then it says two unnamed disciples. Interesting that we don't know who they are. So there's seven disciples, which means there's four that's not here at this point, because obviously Judas is gone. He's off the scene. So there's seven disciples that's going to encounter Jesus at this moment. But Peter's the main one that this is all about, even though the others are going to learn a lot just by being here during all of this. So verse 3 says, Peter told the other disciples, I'm going fishing. Now, this is not Peter just saying, I got a little free time. I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go out and just catch a few fish. No, no, no. No, th this is Peter responding to his failure. This is Peter saying, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm running away. I'm running back to my old life. I'm running back to my old career. I'm sure there's a lot of self-doubt that has filled Peter at this point, and this is the way Peter is responding. I'm not going to seek trying to live for God anymore and, and serve him. I, I, I failed. And so I'm going back to the only thing that I know. I'm going back to fishing. Failure is something all of us have to learn how to deal with and navigate because we all are going to fail at some point in our life. And especially in the spiritual world, we're going to fail. And so we've got to learn how to deal with that. For many, failure is crippling, just like it was at this point in Peter's life. It, his failure was going to prevent him from ever really seeing and living out and experiencing what God was going to have for him for the rest of his life because he wasn't going to do that anymore. He was going to go back to just fishing. 
God wants us to understand, not only in this passage of Scripture, but just in our life with him, that when we fail, we need to learn from it, obviously, and grow from it, but we also need to move on from it and not allow it to cripple us or paralyze us, not allow us to keep on moving forward even though we have failed. And maybe that's where some of you are today. In fact, I'll say this. This message might not even be for you today as much as giving you some things in your toolbox spiritually that you can help somebody else with because you may know of somebody in your life who's failed just like Peter failed, and they're still dealing with that. They've never really been able to move past that. They've never handled it in a healthy, biblical way. And they're paralyzed, and they're crippled, and they're not moving ahead. So then we learn in verse 3, after Peter makes this declaration, that the other disciple says, well, we'll go with you. So the Bible says that they go down to the lake, they get in the boat, they go out fishing that night, and they catch nothing. Is Peter going to fail at this too? Well, yes, but, but catch what's going on here. Jesus actually prevented Peter from catching one solitary fish. It's like Jesus shooed all the fish away out of the lake. said, don't get in that net. Why is Jesus doing this to Peter? He's already failed, and now he's going back to his old life, and it's like he's failing there too, because that's not what Jesus wants Peter to do. And Jesus isn't going to allow Peter or us to find success when we run away from what he has for us. He loves us too much because he doesn't want us to miss out on it. And he will do everything he can to try to turn us back around and get us going and, re and realize that's not the answer either, is running, avoiding. That's not going to help. Because if he wouldn't have turned Peter around at this moment in his life, think about what Peter would have missed. Peter was going to become a leader in the early church. Peter was going to become a spokesman for the early church. Peter was going to be one of the pillars in the early church. Peter was eventually going to write two of the greatest books in the New Testament that you and I still study. In fact, we're going to study one of them in the coming year, Lord willing. God had a lot planned for Peter. If Peter would have went back to just fishing and never continuing to follow and serve the Lord, look at what Peter would have missed. So Jesus prevents Peter from catching anything. He doesn't want Peter to be successful in running from him. Sometimes we as Christians sort of get disillusioned with God because we want to do our own thing and we want to sort of run away from God and we wonder why we're not successful, why we're not more prosperous in what we want to do, even though God is leading us to do something else. It's because God's trying to say, 
I want you to not miss out on what I have for you because what I have for you is best for you. I don't want you to be successful in running for me and doing your own thing. I want you to embrace what I have for you because I know it's the thing that more than anything else will, will make you happy and fulfill you and satisfy you and not only benefit you but profit others and give me glory. So that's what I want for you. And that's where Jesus was with Peter. He caught nothing. In fact, the next verse tells us that it was so early in the morning that it was still pretty dark out. The sun hadn't quite come up yet, but that Jesus was standing on the beach, but that the disciples out there in that boat didn't know it was Jesus. And they hear this voice calling out to them from the shore, hey, you guys, you didn't catch any fish, did you? And at first blush, you'd be like, boy, Jesus, you're just sort of like, you know, rubbing it in, right? No. Because their response is the right one. They basically answer back to the voice that's calling out from the shore, no, we didn't catch anything. Why is that important? Because like with all of us, Jesus wanted to get Peter and the other disciples, and he wants to get you and I to a place where we will acknowledge our inadequacy and live in his adequacy. Jesus wants us to get to a place where we realize our self-effort apart from him leads to failure, but when we live in divine partnership with him and in his divine provision, we will be successful. And too often in our lives, even as disciples, we're still trying to do it either our way or doing it ourselves without him and without partnering with him. And then we wonder, why am I not catching anything? Why is not things going right for me? Why, why am I not seeing something? Maybe it's because Jesus is preventing us from being fruitful or successful because we're not doing what he wants us to do. Or we're doing it in our own strength rather than in the strength that only he can provide. You see, what would follow would not be the works of men, but the work of God. So Jesus calls out to them. Again, they don't know it's him yet. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And isn't it crazy that these fishermen have fished all night and caught nothing, and yet at the word of this complete stranger on the shore, because they don't know it's Jesus yet, they go ahead and throw it over. Maybe it's because there was something about the voice. Maybe some authority in it or confidence in it or whatever. But, you know, you would think they'd be just like, look, who are you to tell us how to fish, right? But they did. They threw the net over the right side of the boat. And what's the Bible say? There were so many fish that now hopped into that net, they couldn't even pull the net up into the boat. It's not that there weren't fish then in the lake. 
There were plenty of fish in the lake. It's just that Jesus prevented any fish from jumping into the net when it was Peter running from what God wanted him to do and them trying to do it in their own self-effort and learning that that's not how God wants his disciples to live. He wants us to learn to live in partnership with him so that we live out of his divine provision that he supplies for us and we meet success through what he does in and through us rather than us out there trying to do our own thing. Because that's not discipleship. Discipleship is when we follow the Lord and partner with him in everything we do. And so you'll notice something. Not only does Jesus want to bring healing to the heart of Peter and get him turned back around, and get him to get out of his maybe even place of, of self-pity and self-doubt. But he also wants to teach his disciples, this is how you live as my disciple. You don't go out there on the boat without me. And you don't try to catch fish without me. And remember, Jesus said to his disciples when he called them, I want you now to be fishers of men. And it's not that Jesus wouldn't have been okay with Peter and his other fishermen buddies going fishing every once in a while again to just do something as a hobby. But when Peter said, I'm going fishing, it was more than that. It was, this is now what I'm going to do. And that's not what Jesus called him to do. Well, the Bible says when they saw all those fish in that net, the Bible then next says the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. By the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved is John, the writer or author of this gospel. Say, so why does John refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Did Jesus not love all the other disciples too? Yeah, he did. But John uses this term over and over again to describe himself because he never got over the fact that God loves him. It wasn't a diss on the other disciples as if God doesn't love them too. It was just like, he loves me. I'm the disciple that he loves. And I think that's a great place for us to be is no matter how long we've known the Lord and how close we are to him and everything, that you and I never get over the fact that Jesus loves me, this I know. That's a good place to be. And so John yells out to Peter, it's the Lord. Guess what? They're recognizing their Lord now. They're grasping, they're comprehending, which is exactly what it said in verse 1. Jesus made himself, revealed himself to his disciples again. Verse 14, this is the third time Jesus revealed himself. Jesus wants to make himself known. And Jesus wants us to get to a place like with these disciples where we sense it's him. 
where we know it's him, where we know he's moving and working, and oh, that's Jesus, or Jesus is doing that, and Jesus did that. It's the Lord that's behind this. That's where he wants to get all of us to. And so he had to do it in a way where he would open up their minds and their hearts to this is who this is behind all this. It's the Lord. And one of the reasons why Peter's one of my favorite Bible characters is because of just another example of what happens next. The Bible says, you know, he was pretty much stripped down because he was fishing and he decides just to sort of tuck everything in and he just dives right into the water. Before I move on with Peter, let's all be reminded of this. That catch of fish that Jesus provided reminds us of the abundance that results when we're obedient to Jesus. Jesus wants us to live out of his abundance, and he said, I will abundantly supply, but you've got to do it with me in partnership with me and not on your own self-effort. You will never meet success that way spiritually speaking. You may be successful in the world's eyes, but that's not the big concern of God. The big concern of God is our spiritual life and the spiritual world. So Peter just dives right into the lake. Now think about that. Just a few minutes earlier, maybe a few hours earlier, he's like, I'm going fishing, and that's what I'm going to focus on. So now he gets maybe one of the best, biggest catches of fish he ever had as a fisherman, and yet it's like the fish weren't even a concern for him anymore. He, he willingly let them go. All that mattered to Peter was, I just want to get to Jesus as fast as I can. I'm diving in. I'm not waiting on you guys to bring the boat. I'm moving. And again, oh, what a great place for us to be where instead of getting caught up with the fish of this world, all that matters to us is just getting closer to Jesus. And note, notice, too, this is before he sort of is, is, has any kind of interaction or reassurance from Jesus that he and Jesus are okay because he's failed him so miserably. But there was something that he already knew about Jesus in following him those three years that gave him the confidence to say, if I just get to Jesus, we're going to work this out. It's going to be okay. There must have been something in Peter that even though he was running from Jesus and, and running from God's will for his life and all of that because of his failure, that he also knew that Jesus unconditionally loved him and would accept him. And God wants every one of us to know that as well. It's not a matter of if we fail Jesus at some point in our life. It's simply when. So then the question becomes, how do I respond to my failure? Do I do like Peter and just run away and run back to my old life and, and run to another career or something like that? That's never the answer. Drowning in self-pity is never the answer. The answer is just go back to Jesus. Let, let him reconcile this, learn from it, grow from it, and keep moving on because God has more waiting for us, just as he did to Peter. So then the Bible says in verse 8, that the other disciples obviously were left with navigating, bringing the boat to shore and dragging the net full of fish towards the shore as well. But the Bible does say they were only about 100 yards out, so it wasn't like they were out in the middle of the lake. And then the Bible says this, 
As they all came on shore, they saw a charcoal fire with a fish on it and some bread grilling on it as well. Now, this is significant. I don't want you to miss this. Why does the Bible mention the charcoal fire? That was a smell that would have been very familiar to Peter and one that would have reminded him about his failure. Because if you go back to John chapter 18, verse 18, what was Peter standing around when he denied the Lord? The Bible says very clearly, a charcoal fire. Do you see what's happening here? There are some times in our life where the senses and the smells and, and things remind us of something. And I'm sure every time after Peter's denial, any time he smelled a charcoal fire, what did his mind go to? My failure. And Jesus wants to take this smell even that reminded Peter of his failure, and he wanted to redeem that, and he wanted to change that, and he wanted to make a new memory for Peter that would be a joyful, pleasant memory to where the next time Peter smelled a charcoal fire, it wouldn't remind him of his failure. It would remind him of the unconditional love of his Savior, Jesus. Oh, our God is so amazing. He is in the details of everything that happens to us. And Jesus wanted to change some things in Peter's head and in his heart. Because later on in the chapter, he's going to get Peter alone and say, Peter, do you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. I got so much for you. I don't want you to go back to that life. I want you to embrace what I have for you because it's what's best for you. So then Jesus says, I want you to bring some of the fish that you caught and add it to what I already have prepared here for you. You see, again, Jesus is teaching his disciples about living in partnership. Yes, he provides but then when he blesses and then we catch the fish in a sense that Jesus provided, he wants us to bring what he's given to be part of it as well. It wasn't just what Jesus already had there prepared. It was he wants us to learn to bring what we have. Again, not what we don't have, but out of what we have and give it to the Lord and then watch him use it and multiply it and all of that. That's how discipleship works. So the Bible says in verse 11 that Peter went back to the boat, got a few more fish, and the Bible then gives some interesting details. It says, oh, by the way, this catch of fish was 153 large fish. Now, a large fish in the Sea of Galilee would have been a couple pounds. So you think about it, that's over 300 pounds of fish in this net. And then the Bible says, oh, and by the way, even with such a large catch of fish, the net did not tear. I think even that was another miracle. 
that Jesus not only allowed them to catch such a huge amount of fish, so many pounds, but that normally the net would have torn or broke, and obviously they would have lost it all, and Jesus was in that detail too. Basically, he's saying to his followers, you not only have to trust me that I will bring into your life what, what will bless you and benefit others, but I'll make sure that I wrap my net around it and it won't break. See? It's something that you can wrap your arms around. And then Jesus says this to his disciples. Come and just have breakfast with me. Wow. He's the risen Savior who's just conquered death. And what's he want to do? He just wants to sit around a charcoal fire and have breakfast with his disciples. What's that tell us again about the heart of Jesus? He just wants to spend time with us. You know, one of the most spiritual, significant, and special things you can do every once in a while as a Christian is to go out and eat breakfast with a friend. Because that's what Jesus did here. He simply spent time with his disciples eating breakfast. Oh, and by the way, did you catch how does Jesus make breakfast? Breakfast. Did you notice when they got on the shore, there was a fish and bread? Where did that come from? Oh, Jesus had to do breakfast. There it is. It's already done. And by the way, what was Jesus having for breakfast? Yes, fish. My family gets upset at me because I eat fish for breakfast every once in a while. I'm like, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. There you go. Fish and bread, grilled right there on that charcoal fire. Come eat breakfast with me. It's the third invitation that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, Jesus says, come and see. In John chapter 7, he says, come and drink. And here in John 21, he says, come and dine. But he's always wanting us to come. And I love what Jesus said in John chapter 6. He said, if anyone comes to me, I will never send them away. I love that. If anyone comes to me, I will never send them away. Jesus wants us to come to him and just be with him. I think it's going to be great when you and I get to heaven that though there's going to be times of unbelievable worship and holy, sacred moments, I think there's going to be times with Jesus where he's just going to hang out with us because that's what he did with his disciples when he was on earth. What are we going to do, Jesus? What's special? Oh, we're just going to have breakfast together this morning, Jeff. And I got to tell you, isn't it true? If it's breakfast with Jesus, it's going to be the best breakfast ever, right? Because it's who it's with. That. That's what makes moments special here on earth, too. It's not necessarily what we do, it's who we share those moments with that make it special, right? And that's certainly true of us with Jesus as well. Now, here's an interesting verse. It also goes on to say in that verse that the disciples dared not ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. You're going, well, wait a minute, what's that? It simply means that they were growing in awe and wonder of Jesus. It was like they knew it was Jesus, but it was like 
they, who are you? What kind of God are you that you would care so much for us and that even though Peter and maybe some of us were, were failing you and running away from you, that you never gave up on us, that you didn't kick us to the curb when we failed you, that you are the God that doesn't extinguish a smoldering wick or break a bruised reed. You're a God who comes back around and loves us so much that you never stop loving us and that you provide for us this great catch of fish and that you're a God that just wants to hang out with us and spend time with us. Who are you? That's what we want this whole experience on earth to be for us is that the more you and I get to know our Jesus and who he is and how he operates and how much he loves and cares for us, that the more we ask the same question, I know you're Jesus, but who are you? You blow me away. You amaze me every day. I'm growing in my awe and wonder of who you are and how you treat me each and every day. That's the experience Jesus wants us to have with him even now as he did there on that shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as if Jesus hasn't done enough, notice the next verse. It says, Then Jesus gave some of the bread and then moved around and also gave some of the fish to the disciples. Notice what's happening here. Jesus, the Lord of glory, is serving the disciples. Not the other way around. Because why? Because Jesus isn't a servant because it's what he does. He's a servant because that's who he is. That's his nature, to be a servant, you see. And he wants us to be those kind of disciples. We don't define our service by our acts of service, even though as Christians, that's the way we usually define it. Well, I serve the Lord because I'm in such and such, or I met at the church and we went out and we served the Lord by doing this and that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but God wants to change our mindset about service. Service isn't things we do. It's about who we are 24-7. I go to bed as a servant. I wake up as a servant. I even sleep as a servant. I've always got my servant's attire on. And every moment of my life, I am basically making myself available to my Jesus every moment of my life saying, Lord, whatever you need, whatever you want, I'm available. I'm here. Here I am. That's being a servant, because that's who Jesus is. See, the, the crazy thing here again about Jesus and, and that we're going to experience in heaven is the Bible tells us that even when we get to heaven and get the glory, Jesus doesn't stop serving us, that even though we're going to serve him, he's going to serve us too. So some of you are going to have to get rid of your pride and allow others to serve you. Because remember, just like Peter when Jesus wanted to wash his feet, and Peter was like, oh, no, 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 Lord, don't wash my feet. She says, you have to learn, if you're one of my disciples, not only to be a servant, but to be willing to be served by others too. That's part of being a disciple. And so Jesus went around and served his disciples bread and fish. Jesus is saying by his example, I'll supply your needs, guys. I'll watch over you. I'll take care of you. 
I'll be there for you. Just follow me and do what I'm calling you to do. And it'll be okay. I will provide for you. And that's what Jesus wants us to get today as well. He wants us to stop running from his will for our life and like, like others, embrace what God has for us because whatever he has for us, he will provide for us and it will be the best thing we could ever be involved with. And so this great story ends in verse 14 with, again, the reminder that this was the third time Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after he rose from the dead. The only miracle that's recorded in the Bible after Jesus rose from the dead. What's going on in John 21 is this. It is revealing to us the heart of our Jesus, that Jesus' heart is to rescue, to reclaim, to restore, to renew. Jesus' heart is to redeem our failures, to turn us around from our failures, to not allow our failures in life to cripple us and to paralyze us and to, to keep us from embracing and continuing to follow him and to do what he calls us to do. Because he loves us, no matter how we failed him. And no matter how we failed him, he still has great purposes and plans for our life. But we'll never experience those plans and purposes if we just sort of sit down and wallow in our self-doubt and self-pity. Jesus says, okay, learn from it, grow from it, but let's get up and keep on moving. Failure is never final with Jesus. And you and I, we have failed Jesus, and we will fail Jesus. That's not the issue. The issue is how will we respond when we fail? Will we keep on following the Lord knowing that nothing can ever separate us from his love, no matter how much we failed or how often, and that God still has a wonderful plan and purpose for our life? And he can change and redeem those failures and actually bring victory out of defeat. That's what he did with Peter. And that's what he wants to do in each of our lives as well. So what a great time of year, especially. This would have been a good message anytime. But what a timely message for each of us to say, okay, where am I at? And am I running? Am I disengaged? Am I doing my own thing? Self-effort, but I'm meeting with no success? Do I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall? Or am I living in the adequacy and provision of my Savior Jesus? Am I willing to embrace what God has for me, not only at the end of 2020, but moving into 2021? Because whatever Jesus has planned for each of us and for our church is the absolute best we could ever experience. 
And Jesus loves us too much, like Peter, to just let us go when we're running the other way. He's going to come after us and say, oh, my child, don't keep going that way. Don't, don't keep going down that road. This, this is better. This is the way for you. Follow me in that way. Could we stand? Lord, I pray today that there may be hearts either in this auditorium or who are viewing this on live stream right now that, that may be healing, Lord, from what they've experienced here today through our worship time and through our time with you in the Word. Maybe they've struggled with their own failure in life. And maybe like Peter, they're either drowning in self-pity or self-doubt or they're just running. But running away from what you have for us, God, is never the answer. Running back to our old life, our old career, all of that, that's, that's never the answer. The answer is only facing our failure with you, letting you redeem our failure and return us back to where you want us to be and to keep on going to accept your love and forgiveness in our failures and to keep moving on. And so, God, I pray today that hearts would maybe be healing here right now. And, and for others, God, I just pray that for all of us, God, we would just open up our arms to whatever you have for us in 2021. That we would realize, God, once again, that we can make that choice. We can live our life in self-effort and meet failure, or we can live in your adequacy and divine partnership and provision and meet success. The choice is up to us. And you give us that choice, God. What will we embrace today? And God, I pray that for each of us here today, that we will say, Lord, take my life. It's yours. I embrace whatever you have for me this day and forward. God, would you do a work in our lives and in the life of our church? Would you prepare us for what you have ahead in 2021? Would you get us ready even for this worship series to come next Sunday so that, God, you could continue to ignite us into a fireball of people for you, God? that will light up this community and this world for Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Very familiar song, but as we sing the words of this song, may we truly understand what we're saying to our Lord when we say it. And if we don't really mean it, then let's not sing it. Because God takes no pleasure in us singing, God, take my life, let it, let it be, whatever, you, if that's not really our heart. For those of us that that's truly what we want, 
May we sing this song out as a declaration like never before, that God, we want what you want for us more than anything else in this world. Let's praise the Lord today.